Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. I want to start this way. That a time comes when you're walking with God, like I've been sharing lately, in the consequent summons, for those of you who have been following, the spirit, the heart, the voice, the one calling out to you more than ever before. This is a season of purging and pruning. And back to what I was saying in the beginning, that when you walk with God, it is almost obvious that you are expected to grow, isn't it? And in growing from stage to stage and learning from phase to phase, because we grow in stages and learn in phases, you can never finish a stage until you've learned all the phases of that stage in life. As you continue to grow, the hunger for the things of God continues to satiate your soul. And that part of you, Kano, which seeks only the provisions of the flesh, continues to die to a higher law in God. When you look at a young child, their needs always surround the things that provide for their convenience, their comfort, their joy, their pleasure. That's what a spiritual baby is. But as you continue to grow, like I've said recently, you assume the responsibility. And Paul, in the simplest words, says that, not that I have attained, he says, but I seek that I may apprehend that which Christ apprehended me for. If you read that from the Amplified Version, not as though I have already attained this ideal or have I already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, grasp and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, laid hold of me and made me his own. When you learn that you are beyond called, but you are chosen. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. When you understand that you are chosen of God, there is that hunger and desire in your spirit. It always seeks to know, why did you choose me? I know you didn't choose wrong because you are God. You are the porter. I am the clay. But why did you choose me? Why me? That's a question of maturity. Somebody shout hallelujah. As you continue to grow in God, you start to pursue the things that are for purpose. 
everything you want a reason behind that connects you to the will and purposes of God. When you're still younger, you only go to the presence of God to get whatever you need. Let's go to Fanero. That boss must die. Let's go to Fanero. You'll get a husband there. There are many men. Let's go to Fanero. You'll get a job. When I went to Fanero, I got myself a job. That's all okay. Because there are things that are available for the children. The Bible says, brethren, we are persuaded of greater things which accompany salvation. Which follow. Give me the amplified of that. It says, Hebrews 6, 9, even though we speak this way, yet in your case, beloved, we are now firmly convinced of better things that are near to salvation and accompany. There are things that follow salvation. Because you're born again, there are things that must follow you. Because you're born again, there are things that must work in your advantage, in your favor. They must work. So when it comes to those things, we are convinced. We are persuaded. A child of God should not be weak, should not be sick, should not be beggarly, should not fail. We are convinced. We are persuaded. But then, God elevates you beyond that and starts to bring deeper thoughts again in will and purpose. For example, let's talk about success. When you are from the fallen world and how the world understands success, even the reasons, the purposes behind success are selfish because they are survival. They are for you. I am going to school so I can get a wonderful degree, so I can get a job or a car, build myself a house and raise my children, and then, you know, live a good life. That's where many people are. It's myopic. Why? Because that's how the world is. And Satan then starts to hand out these little deceptions that come our way and put a certain journey which is not supposed to be existent if in truth we know the patterns and principles of God and then complicate what God ordained to be simple. So the way of success, for example, it is very clear in scripture. No man who understands the word of God can fail to be a success. The keys of success, when you read through the Bible, they are very clear. Success in this present world is the easiest thing for a child of God. But then Satan, through his deceptions, he convinces you that it is hard to be a success. So you fall under the bait of the world and start to fight and contend with things as those of the world. And before you know that, you are chasing after the things which should pursue you because of who you are. Let me say that again. Before you know that, you are chasing after the things which should pursue you because of who you are. And there the devil has you because he knows he's going to take all your time. You're going to invest all your time in chasing after the things that should have followed you if you knew how to seek, what to seek, and your positioning in God. This is one of the greatest deceptions that has ever happened in the Christian faith. In fact, this kind of deliverance is so hard to put language to. Even as I articulate these things, somebody will 
not only understand, but apply themselves from today, never again to fall under the deception of the devil, for which we have seen many in the church of Jesus Christ are taken captive of and have been consequently enslaved in the way and the systems of this world. They are survivors, they are victims, they are struggling men and women. They are sweating for things they are not supposed to sweat for because they do not know the truth. They do not know the truth. So when we're talking about deliverance, some of you think about deliverance only from the perspective of go, go. And then demons start screaming out of somebody and they're flying. Then you're looking at this person and say, eh, there are many. But you see, you could also be dealing with a tenant and you don't know. Why? Because the nature of your demon can only live by a certain kind of revelation, a certain kind of knowledge. A man can be blind to his own bondage. Remember when Jesus comes to the children of Israel and tells them, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they said, wait a minute. How do you say that we shall know the truth and he shall set us free? We are Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How do you say that? Yet the people speaking that, as I always emphasize, are under Roman rule. Bondage can stick on man a man for so long that it starts to look like him and it becomes inseparable from him, that you cannot define him anymore far from his bondage. It becomes part of his badge and identity that to help this man know that you're bound, you have to firstly define who they are in God and then show them the conflict and the corruption in the image over the years, according to the doctrines that they have learned, the teachings that they've gone under, the understanding of things. Today is a kind of deliverance. And the kind of deliverance I want to introduce to you is deliverance from the present world. Present world. Paul says one of the most remarkable statements in the book of Galatians, chapter 16, verses 14. He says, For God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I am to the world. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom the world is dead, to me, and I am dead to the world. As I said earlier, when you continue to grow in the things of God, as you continue to ascend to the next levels and stages of your life, you will have encounters or consecrations. There can never be any form of growth, any form of progress to the next level of the spirit without some form of consecration. And this sort of consecration is double-sided. There is that consecration that God himself will do for you by prevenient grace. And there's that consecration that he will require of you to do certain things, again by prevenient grace, but expecting you to do your part, your side. There are things he can and will do without your own participation. You must admit that. 
There are things he can do without your own participation. When he chose Elisha, Elisha didn't participate in anything. He was just a funny prophet, young fellow, seated just by the road. And by default, a certain prophet, Elijah, happens to bump into him on the road and casts a mantle. Elisha didn't do anything. He was just positioned right. You see what I'm saying? But when you see a woman with a bleeding issue, fighting through people saying in her heart, that if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. There's an application of this individual to reach out for what they know in understanding. So there are consecrations that God will give you or put on your life by prevenient grace and those might not even engage anything. You might even be in a dream of the night and then God appears to you and says, I'm anointing you for this without your own uh, application or indulgence. There are consecrations wherewith God will say, this you're going without the park. This, you're not going with anybody. This, you are going yourself and you have to do A, B, C, D, E if you must enter this next level, if I must use you this far. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 21, it says, if a man therefore purge himself, did you hear that? If a man therefore purge himself from these things, he says, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. But it spoke of a man who purges himself. Somebody says, okay, now, this kind of thing God expects of me to separate myself this way, to consecrate myself this way, I'm going to purge myself. Even as I undergo his own purging, but there are things that he expects of me. Or perhaps you say, you know, I think I'm going to set off uh, a few days of uh, fasting and prayer. I've been praying for 45 minutes a day or 15 or 30 but today I'm going to pray for one hour. I'm going to push it to two hours or three hours. This is you saying, I'm availing myself for your work. I am purging myself. I'm walking through these consecrations for you to fulfill all that you're speaking to my life. That is private. There are consecrations, of course, that come to, you know, generically. Yeah, God can say, Fanero, God is taking us through this season. It's like at the beginning of the year, we usually put aside some 40 days of fasting. Not as a tradition, really because I believe that at the beginning of every cycle, there is a level of consecration that you must go through for you to do what must be done to the end of that cycle. Shout Amen. Now back to what Paul is saying. Paul says, I was crucified to the world and the world is crucified unto me. What a rich text. These are not things that are popular in the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are in a generation of many, 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 many infants. We are in a generation of what the Greek call nepios, spiritual babies. And because they are not ready to take meat hitherto, Many of them are comfortable with the things that can minister from where they are. They are comfortable with the simpler messages. Tell me I'm going to London. Tell me I'm going to what? London. Tell me I must get a, a visa. That, that's what I want you to speak in my life. That's how they understand life. They don't understand life any other way. It's what they can receive from God for them to advance especially in the pride of life. Pride of life. 
It's the word called prestige. Why a man with three children builds a house of 30 rooms and yet he doesn't want the family members to visit. You know those kinds of people. Eh? I don't want people at my house. But he has a 30 bedroom what? House. Pride of life. And without wisdom, you'll always find yourself conflicting between pride and purpose. Do you need 30 cars because you have money? Prestige versus purpose. When it comes to prestige, we're talking about the pride of life. There are many things people are willing to do for the sake of the pride of life. Reputation. That is why there are many people here who can't stand on the streets to preach. How can they see me? You who? You who? The wife of the CEO of the executive director of some even hold titles we don't understand. Do you know how many people here, if I ask them to put up their hands, do you know how many people here would put up their hands if I said, how many people are princes and princesses from kingdoms? Somebody says, how, me, a princess of Unyanyembe? <laughs> to be found on Kampala Road, preaching that me, a princess of Unyanyembe? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you are even princesses of fallen kingdoms. But yeah, that's who you are. Some even proud of where you live. I live in Kalele. I live in Kawempe. Kawempe. <laughs> Kawempe. How can they see me from all the way from Kawempe? Preaching the gospel one day. He said, I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. I wish you know what this means. These are the things you want to skip and say, Apostle, get to that point where I get a husband. Forgive me, my American friends. Excuse my German. Are you following what I'm saying? Crucified to the world and the world crucified to him. And the Spirit told me, if I have to grow you, we have to have such conversations. We have to have such conversations. We must talk about these things that are not preached in the church on a regular Sunday service, but are expedient because they are in the word and you must know them. You cannot bypass them anymore. Not at least if you continue coming to Fenero. And this is what the Lord told me that changed my life. And I pray it changes yours. Did you know that in the Hebrew of Scripture, you know, we're not talking about the Hebrew of language, just the normal language you'll find in Hebrew culture. We're talking about the Hebrew of Scripture. We're not talking about the colloquial 
statements you'll find in Israel present. We're talking about that language in its most sacred form and the same which is used in writing uh, biblical uh, scripture. Concerning the present world, concerning this material world, according to the sacred language, you cannot possess anything. It is not possible for you to possess or to be in possession of anything. In Hebraic language, in the sacred language, there is no such verb as to have. This is very important for you to note. There is no such language as to have. There's no verb called to have. So in Hebrew scripture, you cannot say, I have a wife, I have a car, I have a house. You can't use the word his house, his wife, his children. No, that's your English translation, your Luganda translation, your Spanish text. It's not the Hebrew. The Hebrew carries no verb to have. Because in the way, pattern, and wisdom of God, he never created you to have anything of possession concerning this present world or material world. The words used in Hebrew are entrusted. The words used in Hebrew are borrowed. Even if you think you have, by God, you actually don't have. If you are speaking from the optics of the fallen world, you can say, I bought a property in Mitiana. It's my property. It's your title, your legal title. But in principle, Uganda belongs to the government of Uganda. What you received is a certificate of registration of that land title, not a record of ownership. And there's a difference between registration and recording. Do you know by law you're a property of Uganda? The government of Uganda. You are. Are you following what I'm saying? But who is Uganda? Who? Which person can you point to? One person and say, this is Uganda. Are you following what I'm trying to tell you? In life, by God, you truly don't possess anything, even though we use that language according to the fallen or a bit more inferior, some uh, less liturgic languages than Hebrew, some pragmatic languages like yours, Luganda, and mine. We could say mine, his, he has, she has, but by God in heaven, that language is not there. No man truly has. This is very important. Because if you don't get this thing, you conflict the basic laws of divine inheritance. Both those that touch the material world and otherwise. Why? Because you conflict in truth when you say, I have what you really don't have. And you alter your world 
and switch the order of things by simply that conscience. You change a lot of things concerning the course of the world as it should go, the foundation of things as they should go. So when the Bible says that the foundations are out of course, it is because we do not walk in knowledge and understanding of the mind of God. There is nothing in this world you truly own. Everything you have by God is entrusted. Everything you have by God is borrowed. That's a very sobering thought. Because I've seen people fighting for things as though they're theirs. I've seen people contend for things as though they're theirs. I've seen people treat other people as though they're theirs. Think about marriage. Do you know what it means to come to the full understanding that God entrusted you with that woman? He didn't give you that woman. That God entrusted you with that man. He did not just give you a man. He entrusted you with him. Because everywhere entrusting is or borrowing is, there's a responsibility. There is an expected accountability, an underlying mental note in the back of your head that I owe some sort of explanation for this person or this thing that God has entrusted me for. How many people are married and look at their wives as people God entrusted them with? How many women are married and look at their husbands as people God entrusted them with? How many parents are looking at their children as people God entrusted them with, simply entrusted with? Think about it. Selah. Ponder on it deeply. That's the meaning. How many people go to work and look at this job as something God entrusted them with? How many people run businesses and look at these businesses as things God entrusted them with? How can you eat tithe in your business when you are entrusted with it? You can only eat tithe because the business is yours. Am I helping somebody? Are you seeing how deep this is? How can somebody plead with you to give your gift, your skill, your talent, when you know it was simply entrusted? How can a pastor sell a sermon if they know that whatever they are using to preach, everything, I don't understand. How do you charge for what was given to you freely by the one who keeps your kidneys? I don't care. For free. For free. He keeps your kidneys for free and gave you that teaching gift for free. And then you charge it. You can only charge it because you think it's yours. When you understand that you are entrusted with it, you cannot charge it. Because you can't sell what's not yours. Are you following what I'm saying? Think of every level of responsibility you have in this life and switch on this light that tells you, this is not mine. It's for the Lord. It's simply entrusted to me. How you handle money will change. How you relate with people will change. 
how you build friendships will change, how you dream will change, how you serve will change. At least it changed me. It changed me. That is the beginning of dying to the world. That's the beginning of dying to the things of this world. If you think you own them, you are alive to them in many ways than you will assume. We can use the language because we have to keep the gate open between the spiritual realm and our understanding of the things divine versus the way the world understands them. And we need to be, you know, communicating so we can understand each other. I'm not saying switch off from this day and start to speak things the people of the world will not understand. There you will lack some sort of wisdom. But by and large, I want you to understand by God that everything you have was entrusted to you. And if you think you own it, then you have altered your world already and frustrated every law touching inheritance, every law touching purpose, every law touching divine order, spiritual protocol. There are things that many of you are pursuing because you want to have them. Yet, if you understood the principle of entrusting, you would not pursue them. You would prepare yourself. Who has understood what I just said? This is an adult text. Babies can't understand this. Let me say it again. There are things you're pursuing because you want to have them, yet could have come to you if you knew that they were to be entrusted to you and God required you more to prepare yourself for what he was to entrust you with than the things you thought you should pursue. Now go back to the equation of success. Do you know how many people in the world are pursuing money? And do you know how many people in the world who some have understood that because of the responsibility that comes with this, I'm not actually called to pursue that. I'm called to pursue something else and that will pursue me. This is what Elon Musk said. He made a very powerful statement. Now this came from the richest man in the world at that time, the richest. The man to whom the earth had yielded its substance to. Whether born again or not, whether he has a relationship with God or not, there is a spiritual power and connotation to such a realm as being the richest man on the face of the earth. He said one of the most fundamental experiences of fulfillment is to own nothing, yet control everything. Some of you have heard him say, Elon Musk says, I own nothing, but I control everything. He understood it. His eyes were open to that blessed experience, even though he may not know God the way you do. I don't want to judge him. I don't know his personal piety. But notwithstanding, how could such a statement come out from the richest man in the world to say, I control everything I own nothing. You could sue a man like that and he'll fight for bankruptcy. Yet he controls everything. Who taught him that? Who showed him how much power comes with that? 
Or do you know how powerful that statement means? I took time to ponder. I contemplated. And the Lord showed me so much. This is high level deliverance. This is not mute, mute, By fire, by force. Fire on the mountain. Live, die. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. This is high level deliverance. High level deliverance. You read portions of scriptures like seek God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Think about this portion of scripture you read every day. All these things shall be added unto you. He's saying, I designed you to pursue a certain course and there are things by design and order should pursue you. You're not supposed to look for them. Money is one of them. Money is one of them. God has never created you to pursue money. Because money is not pursued. Money is spoken to. You just need to know the language. No, no, read your Bible. The Bible says money answereth. It answereth, it answereth, it answereth, it answereth. You just need to know where to put the exclamation mark. The question mark. The answer comes. It answereth. He says, all these things shall pursue you. You read scriptures like, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. You read scriptures in Isaiah, it says, come without money and buy. Come without money and buy. Because there is a realm where you will not need money to buy certain things. You read portions of scriptures like, buy truth and sell it not. It says there's a transaction touching truth. And it's important to know not to sell it. Because this is the kind you could buy but never sell. There are truths you can only buy, you can't sell. If you sell, like I said, you alter your world. You alter your world. You conflict with everything true and the very spirit and essence of God in your life. But many have done so because of ignorance. They don't understand this. How did Abraham become wealthy? Was it through hard work? Am I saying I'm against hard work? I'm not against hard work. He was a hard worker, but he did not become wealthy because of hard work. He became wealthy because God said, I shall make thee a great nation. Leave your people, your kindred, your kids and kin. Go to a place that I will show you and I will make thee a great nation, he said. I will bless thee. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. He goes into Canaan. A man called Lot looks at him and says, God has spoken to this man. And the Bible says, wherever Abraham went, Lot went. God did not have a covenant with Lot. Neither did Lot have any, any, any 
bearing of hard work to qualify or justify the kind of wealth that he built. The Bible says, and as Abraham increased in flocks and herds and tents, Lot increased also. That's not prayer. That's not fasting. That is not a man who is hardworking. There's another law at work. There's another law at work. What made Lot rich? Genesis 13, he says, And Lot which went with Abraham, which went, Lot which went with Abraham, had flocks, herds, and tents, because he went with Abraham. Meaning that there are people in this world, if you meet, you can't be poor. Whether you have a generational curse, whether you have your uncle's auntie's demon, whether you in your family nobody makes it, there are people in this world, if you come in contact with, you can never be poor. Now, how do you explain such an equation? Is it in the realm of only hard work? Am I saying I'm against hard work? No. Hard work is the wisdom and grace to keep it, but it's not what brings it. Because I know people who are hard workers. I, back in the day, when I just graduated, I had a job, I worked with a company called Global Food Securities. And, and I remember during that time, we used to do quite a lot of businesses and another one, one or two of them. And they were all owned by one person and I was managing certain parts in this uh, company. And I remember we used to go to downtown Chikubo, the central business district, at 2 a.m. loading goods. 5 a.m., 4 a.m., I was off the truck and were offloading goods. And there were guys you'd find at 4 a.m. carrying things at 4 a.m. And they would carry those things from 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. For you in your bed, you can't even get up, you're zonked. 7 a.m., 8, 9, midday, 1, 2. And they would carry things from 4 a.m. to 6 p.m. And tomorrow morning, you go back and find them there again at 4 a.m. awake, ready to carry more. They were not the richest. So hard work does not equal to wealth. I'm not saying that there's no place for hard work. There is a place for hard work. There is a provision. And that's what breaks the yoke of Jacob of Esau. He that does not work shall not eat. You see what I'm saying? But I'm talking about things that are beyond your labor. I'm talking about things God would give you and you could have never worked for. Uh, are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm talking about things you can't seek. I'm talking about things you have no strength to get. You have no wisdom enough to collect. They can only come by the grace of God. By understanding how the principles of the Spirit work. And then you are aligning yourself to those principles. Are you learning something? Lord didn't do anything. He just followed Abraham. And as the Lord increased Abraham, Lot increased. Now, you can't explain Lot's success equation in how many of you explain success. Because I know there are many Lots of that time who would have died poor simply because of pride. They didn't know who to follow. Are you learning, son? I know many Lots who would have died I know pastors who bypass wells every Thursday. Every Thursday. 
just bypass wells every week. It's there, but they can't drink. They can't. How? I am Bishop How can they see me? Come to the that young Who anointed the to be continued? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I know people who are broke not because they are not fasting, they are not praying, but they didn't know who their destiny helper was. And that loss still moves on the earth. I know barren wombs that stood up once on a window and laughed at the Lord's anointing, worshipping his God. They are not barren because they can't pray. They are not barren because they have a barren spirit. They are barren because they laughed at things they were not supposed to laugh at. I know them. How do you explain to this person that no prayer is going to get you out of this? Because God doesn't seek a prayer for you. He seeks an understanding. He wants you to grow and understand how things work. How the world, the spirit world works. How the way of truth works. You've been doing the same job for 15 years. But the person who almost wrote your promotion, you one time walked into the office and assured. Yet you are in a fasting period. You know demons come most when you're fasting. Never forget it. There's a lesson you should learn. Satan works most when you're fasting because you're crucifying your flesh. You understand what I'm saying? You're crucifying your flesh. So he will do things to take you out of tandem. And that was the door, not a door. It was the door. It was the door. Jesus, the Bible tells us, he couldn't heal in his own town. And their own hindrance of healing was because they knew him. Only that. That the best thing that could have happened to them was not to know him was for him to be born in another city if he was born in another city you would guarantee they would have received god's blessing but they didn't yet james his own blood brother who is in the house with him who circled the same breast with him introduces himself as he says i'm james comma a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. His own brother, his own blood brother says, I am James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his servant. I don't introduce myself beyond that to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Do you know how many Jameses would have said, I am James? Brother of Jesus. <laughs> Some 
some rest. Bed. Listen to me. Jude, his young brother, the young brother of Jesus and James, introduces himself in Jude chapter 1 verses 1 as a servant of Jesus Christ, comma, and a brother of James. He refuses to say, I'm that guy's brother. Why? Because he doesn't want to put a familiarity that will frustrate God's best for him because he came from the same womb with the same man. If you don't understand this principle, this is deliverance. Now, these ones are not even from the same house, but they have the audacity to say, is this not the son of Joseph? <laughs> the son of Mary and his brothers James and Jude, the ones who play from him. The Bible says they were offended. They are not even in the same house. But the fact that one time as a shopkeeper was selling bread, she saw him pass once, twice, three times, four times. He couldn't heal her. Such blindness. A shopkeeper selling bread saw him walk on the road four times and for such, he cannot heal her. Because he used to pass by when she was selling bread. Mark 6, 5, he could do there no mighty work. So there are many aspects. I'm just trying to give us examples to take my point home. That the life of the spirit is deliberate. That's how the world thinks. You shouldn't think like that. Back to uh, what I was trying to emphasize earlier. The Bible says in John 12, 25. Let's begin, I think, from verses 24. Again, this is progress. This is success. This is the secret of God. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. In other words, nothing can multiply in its own if it has not gone through some sort of death. Some sort of death. Some sort of death. So when Paul says, I'm crucified, I'm dead to the world, and the world is crucified unto me, I want to submit to you, that was a sort of death. He had to die from the way the world interprets things to the way the kingdom of God interprets things. He was a seed that had to die in the hands of the world. Likewise, the world as a seed had to die in his heart. Are you following what I'm saying? It had to die in his heart. Nothing multiplies, never forget this, without some sort of death. Nothing in the world is designed by divine law to multiply without some sort of death. It abideth alone. Next verse, 25. He, the Bible says, that loveth his life. His life. You know, that's the word there. His. He has owned it. Remember I told you, you cannot possess anything. It's just entrusted. But somebody says, it's my life. I do whatever I want to do with it. If I want to go out, I'll go out. If I want to have fun, I have fun. There's nothing in the world you can do to stop me because it's my 
life. Go read what they call the 11th commandment. From hell itself, it's do what thou willst. Because you think you own yourself. You think you do. Why? Because you move these legs. And then you have a mouth that can talk. You can talk, you can chew. You can flex your muscle. You say, ah, this is my life. This is who I am. I know who I am. I own my life. You don't own yourself. It's not in man. The Bible says it's never designed in man to know his way. You think you're walking, but you're not walking on your own. There is a spirit always moving you either to the right direction or not. It's not in man. God never designed it in man to know his way. You read your Bible. No, me, I'm free. I go everywhere I go. You don't go everywhere you go. You're driven by something. You will know one day what it was. Because, I mean, if it drives you in a bar, I mean, that wasn't you. Romans 7, that which I will to do, I do not. It's not in man. Never think it is in you. Even when you thought you were, you were not. There was something else controlling you. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to John. He says, he that loveth his life, his, 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 he has it. The Bible says, shall what? Lose it. And he, the Bible says that hateth his life in this world. Hateth means disconnects from having. Does not recognize the possession of it. Understands it as entrusted. The Bible says he shall keep it unto life eternal. So many are keeping unto life eternal. Not this present world, but for eternity, the world beyond. Some are fighting to have what some are willing to lose. That prestige you feel won't put you on the streets is the same prestige that a man is crucifying to give away. And you're both believers. You're both believers. The things you're willing to kill for, there's another person willing to live for Christ. The thing you think, I, I, this one, eh? my land, I die. You know those people? This one, I will die. I will die from there. Directly translated, Mfirawo. Kufano translated as that I would rather die than being robbed. We have a saying here in Luganda that I would rather die than being robbed. So somebody submits their life to death for 50 decimals of land. And then they come to church, Robadego, Zigado, Zigado, Zigado. <laughs> ah, Zigado from there. <laughs> yeah, it's not Zigado. It's nothing. Zigado. You're not Zigadoing. <laughs> crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me somebody shout amen Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 verses 4 but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God he said in much patience in afflictions 
in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. You see? There's nothing there of the self. Everything, whether you're talking of patience, is for the church. Afflictions is for Christ. Necessities is for Christ. Distresses is for Christ. Stripes for Christ. Imprisonments for Christ. Tumults for Christ. Labors in the gospel. Watchings for God. Fastings, the pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love and faith, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying, behold, will live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing all things. What a glory! What a glory! As deceivers yet true. And he's saying these qualify us. Now, any minister who doesn't understand this portion I've just read, you're not yet ready for God's best. Maybe you knew it here. Get it from here. Put it here. Put it here. If this is something you have to go through and meditate, go and meditate through this portion of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 4. Approving ourselves as ministers of God. There are things God will approve you of, and there are things you'll have to approve of yourself. You remember the purgings? That which the Lord purges and that which you have to purge in your own understanding and way of life. Say I'm learning something. So as Paul continues to age, he starts to see this multiply and I mean this same spirit going through his own children. Attacking the kids that were born for destiny, for course, chosen by God. He saw them put down the plow and the tools and choose the way they should not have gone. You hear him cry in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9. He tells Timothy, do thy diligence to come unto me shortly. For Demas, the Bible says, has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he departed to Thessalonica. Then Crescens went to Galatia, and Titus went to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark along as well. These kids left. Can I engage you for a moment to think if I had the grace to call back Demas from the dead, call back Titus from the dead, call back Crescent from the dead, and I sat these three boys down and in retrospect asked them the question, would you have left Paul now with the understanding of what Paul was to the church? Would you have left Paul? Do you know what Demas would have been? Crescens, do you know what you would have been? Titus, do you know what you would have been? But the Salonika was preferred more than the pounds. This man. Galatia was preferred more than the chains and imprisonment. Dalmatia was preferred more than bearing the reproach of Christ. Again, I ask you, 
if I brought these four boys, three boys back and I told them, did you know Paul? Did you really ask yourself the question, why of all boys in Israel, God chose you to serve Paul? If you know or now see over the years what has evolved in the Gentile church, and the three quarters of the New Testament is written by the man whom you left, Demas, what would your part have looked like if you had not loved this present world? Crescent, what would your part in the gospel have looked like if you had not loved this present world? Titus, what would your part in the gospel have looked like if you did not love this present world? These boys were chosen vessels, pillars, like God had chosen Judas. Their story would have been different, but they chose a permissible line and left the perfect will of God. Perhaps Demas, Christians, Titus, were the chosen apostles in line after the ascension of Paul. What a glory. What a glory. But they chose the love of this world. They chose the love of this world. It choked every assignment of God in them. And I'm sure they made it. I'm sure they made it because God is gracious. He can provide for you even in the permissible. But don't be mistaken. It's a deep assault for a man to go back and reflect and say, God, what was my true course? Because I remember when the Lord was commissioning me, he asked me. He told me there are two ways you can choose. You can choose the permissible and I will use you in the permissible. But you can choose the perfect. They both come with their own consequences. If I did not choose to preach the gospel, I would have still been something in this world. Because there are many things God gave me. You can sing, duh. <laughs> I'm a smart kid. I didn't fail in school. There are many things that I would do my numbers and find my way around. I'll be more successful than even if I had chosen to sing in the world, I would have one many. I would have done better than many. I know there are people here and I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> now you understand what I'm saying? If I chose to just do business for Jesus, I would be a success. In my banking days, I was. But a time comes where God puts these two and says, perfect, permissible. Again, I say, not everybody is supposed to be on the pulpit. You could be in the perfect will of God, a business person making money for the kingdom. Perfect will. By the way, if you step here, you limp off. So it's not about where you step. It's where you are assigned. But make sure you are assigned. They left. So that's why he calls Timothy. And they are alone in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He tells him, son, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. He told Timothy, if you ever find yourself with food on your table and clothes on your body, be content. 
because those who are rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money. You see? Love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after. He's telling him what to follow after. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Is there money? There's a place you reach in God and you'll never look for money. It will have to look for you. There's a certain place you reach in God and you will never look for food or shelter. There's no place in the world I could step and there's no raven to provide for me. If not a raven, the Lord's righteous. What do you mean by that? Ravens are dirty animals. Biblically, they are filthy animals. But God used even the filthy to feed who? Elijah. He can use the filthy and the righteous alike for his anointing. There is no place in the world I could step and lack. It's not there. Not because I know how to pursue money. Because the secret of the Lord is with me. There are things I can never pursue anymore because by how I pursue God, they must pursue me. That's why I'm telling you, you're not wasting time coming on a Thursday evening to sit here. Every ounce of investment of time is sowing seeds in your life that are going to define your next years ahead. And one day people will look at you and say, see whom the Lord has blessed in his rest. Because we which have believed, the Bible says, have entered into rest. What is my message tonight? Be delivered from this present world. Stop acting, thinking, behaving like you of this world. Stop thinking the way the people of this world think concerning wealth, concerning success, it's empty. The other day I was seeing a documentary and in the United States of America right now, which is the richest nation in the world, they say, among the richest. Every day now, 300 Americans die of drugs. Every day. If you multiply that by 365 days a year, that's 109,500 people a year. What are they looking for? What is killing those kids in Kensington, Philadelphia? What is killing them in San Francisco? It's a wealthy nation. They have health facilities. They have education facilities. They have everything you could desire. Their children are empty. They are addicted on fentanyl. All these other little things that are killing them every day. 
kids are shooting themselves. Every day. Why? Because they are taking God out of the equation. The only person you could ever truly possess in life is God. That's what the psalm says. That the Lord is my portion. He is my portion. God can, has committed to be yours. He's the only person you can truly own. He's the portion of your inheritance. He maintains your Lord. He's the portion of your inheritance. You can say God is mine. He's the only person you can own. He's the only person who says, I am yours. I've given myself to you. Give yourself to me also. We own nothing. So, walk in this freedom every day. When you walk in this freedom, there are things you will not fight for. And there are things you will not fight with. And you're going to be amazed that the things you've been trying to follow will start to chase after you. Somebody has been delivered. Literally, you've been chasing money. Today, something has changed. And you're going to run after what you're supposed to run. And now money is going to come chasing you saying, come back. Do you know money pursues those who don't pursue it? And it runs away from those who pursue it. Look at the poor who are pursuing money most. <laughs> They're the most in debt. They're the brokest. They're the most struggling. Because it became their God. They are pierced with many a sorrow. Is their God. Every crown I ever won. I lay it down. Talk to Jesus. Every praise I ever made, I give it all to you. For there's nothing in this world that can compare. To those who call upon your name, you'll ever give and never love, then you remain the same. For you open up your hands and satisfy, give you all. Let's sing it from the beginning. Every crown. Every crown. Speak to Jesus. Now, in such a service, I will not tell you what to pray. Examine yourself and talk to Jesus from your heart.
Talk to Jesus. Father, many times we lose, we lose our way and the true vision of why we're here and what we're here for. That is in such summons that you sober us up. And I pray for every man and woman at the sound of my voice, whether you're present or streaming or will watch this later. May this someone deliver you from this present world. May you find a satisfaction in God to a place where with food on your table and raiment over you, you'll have such a contentment on your life that even the richest in the world will admire you. Not that you will be poor, but you won't be defined by your substance. You'll be defined by something money can't buy. And that's the anointing. That's the presence. 
give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Come on. Say, Father, I receive it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 If you're there and you've never given your life to Jesus, it's time to cross over from the world to the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're there, you say, Today, I want to have a personal relationship with that man, Jesus, you're talking about. Repeat these words after me. From your heart, say, Father God, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Today, I realize there's nothing in the world that can satisfy only Jesus. Today, I believe in my heart that Jesus died for my sins and he was raised for my glory. Today, I receive you, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Change me. I want to walk with you for the rest of my life. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.